call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 105 of Call of Friend, or the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richard, my co-host Donna Katerinen, watched two devastating films about young women in extremely bleak situations, 1999's Rosetta and 2002's Lilia Forever. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call of Friend or Podcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. Peace. Estamos so, like, hablando de Miguel Arroz. Not, not the John Spillane method this time then, no? <laughs> Hell no. All right, fair enough. What's the crack? How are you? It's your last week in Montenegro. No, it's not. I still got it's five not. weeks. I got five weeks from now. I got one more week. I'm in a town. Okay, if anyone's trying to assassinate me, here you go. I'm in Herzeg Novi, oh. which is up near the Croatian border. And next week, I'm going to go to the capital of Montenegro for a month, Pogorica. Is that also a beautiful mountain town? I don't know about that. I think it's like a... <laughs> I don't know, a Balkan hellhole. If I'm I might, staying in a nice flat. So, you know. If I might say so, officially just after this week, as far as I'm concerned, you're staying in the two movies that we uh, watched this week. That's what I think of Montenegro as. That have, and Casino are, Royale. There are, some, there are some similarities. Yeah, it was a rough week, right? A little bit. But they're uh, quite short films, though. They are quite short films. One, I think the first one we'll talk about, for me, couldn't have ended soon enough. <laughs> that would like Rosetta's a tough film. Good, like, and no, in a like, I I think it's really crazy, impressive cinema. I can see maybe why somebody won a Palme d'Or for it, but goddamn, it was it was tough. Did you not find? I don't think it moved me as much as I thought I was going to. No. There were there were times where I was. There were times where I thought like, wow, that's a really powerful move. That's a really powerful turn of events. But ultimately, by the end. I don't know. There's a switch that happens. There's a point. I mean, mm. we're, we're in spoilers right from the start here, but there's a point where she chooses to kill herself and her mother where I was kind of like, yeah, I yeah. get it. I kind of get it. I get why you would maybe want to do that. But then narratively, it also felt like a bit of a weird well, shift there. I mean, yeah, I suppose we'll get to that. Rosetta is exactly the kind of film that I used to uh, seek out until I began to actively avoid them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I watched a lot of this kind of stuff um, in yes, my 20s. Same. My wife still hoovers up films like this. Uh, I can wind her up by improvising plots like this in which she'll get interested before I reveal the film about the woman who uh, reconnects with her mother after years of being a prostitute, only to eventually confront uh, her blah, 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 blah. And, just went, and then I'll just reveal to her that I just made up the whole plot and, uh, she, and the movie doesn't exist. And I, like, I suppose I do it because, in a way... There's something very packaged going on with a lot of uh, these these kinds of films, like or formulaic anyway. That reminds me a lot of English soap operas. I suppose is what I'm saying. But I do them a disservice because with Rosetta, I discovered I actually resist watching them for a much more regular reason. Rosetta is like as real as cinema gets, and by the time she's using a fucking hairdryer to warm her stomach, you can feel the cold and the hunger and the desperation. And by the, by the time the film's clocking in at 90 and she's attempting suicide, you're going, make it stop, just like she presumably is. This is like kitchen sink acting as horror film. And while I couldn't go so far as to recommend it to everybody, 
I'd vouch for it as one of the most powerfully, like, humane films I've ever seen, let's say. Because I think it achieves what it achieves by stripping away all the, all the fat, and you're just left with a human at the center of it, and it's really tough to watch. Like, it doesn't, she doesn't feel alien by the end. I, I, like, you know, even though she's, you know, anybody who's watching this, like, art house film definitely doesn't live in a caravan in Belgium. You can say that for sure, you know? But there's real connection to it, but it's fucking tough. Well, it reminds me of that Roger Ebert film as like an empathy machine quote. Yeah. Of we're forced to watch this uh, this character, this Rosetta character, handheld cameras super close in on her face the entire time or just right behind her. Yeah. It's so claustrophobic. There's only about three or four locations. The city of Liège, at least from, from this perspective, looks like an absolute toilet. Yeah, I never spent much time in that part of Belgium. It looks like a a rough old place. But yeah, you definitely come to understand Rosetta. I would say at least until... I mean, she lives by such a strong moral code. Mm. But she's also so resistant to any form of help. Yeah, like... That that's when the natural point for the film to end because that like in that last look that she gives um her f- friend slash person she fucked over, the it, all the layers are away. It's just like desperate and alone, and it's like really tough. I like I've like on this podcast like I actively disliked and refused to rewatch when you were watching it the film Snowtown. And I think that like Rosetta can make quite a demonstration of exactly what the problem with Snowtown is. Because there are and I think probably even Rosetta f- for this actually achieves it's it's almost a more horrifying circumstance because there is levity in it. There like you know the part where she goes and stays at the boy's house and he plays the <laughs> he plays the, the, him playing the drums that the worst that that's to me like it had all the beats of like a sexual assault of being forced to listen to a guy play drums and then dance (laughs) with him i know that's i'm not i'm not trying to downplay sexual assault i'm just saying like yeah yeah yeah. like when she she, like he makes her dance with him Mm. and she has like a full-on meltdown during that scene and i'm not surprised because it is like it is pretty horrifying well, I think that's her, just her period pains, isn't it? But even then, I don't know. I think I think dancing to his awful drumming. <laughs> but she smiles and like, you know, and then afterwards you've got that that speech where she talks to herself, which is really moving, I I felt. Yeah. But my 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 point would be is like that kind of levity is exactly what's absent from something like yeah, Snowtown, yeah. and for that reason, it's Snowtown seems less realistic. I think for that, because life isn't like that. There is levity in life in horrible situations, and it doesn't get much fucking grimmer than Rosetta. I'll say. But again, I think guys. I I also find like there's there's a certain levity to to the scene of like how that all plays out in this film towards the end. I mean, like that 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 final scene of uh, trying to commit suicide. And mm. running out of gas and having yeah. to go and change the gas canister in order to kill yourself and your mother. Off like, a... there's something. There is something funny about that. Like, just how <laughs> it's funny and just in terms of how brutal it is of being like, oh, now I need to go and change the gas canister in order to kill myself. And I yeah, have it's to almost like the Book of it. Job or something. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's like it's horrifying, but there is like a you know perverse humor to it. Yeah. Uh, had you seen any of their films before this? No, I wasn't aware of the the old Darden boys at all. 
I'd only seen one Darden uh, Brothers film before this, uh, Two Days, One Night, but I've seen a few things they produced. Uh, so have you. You've uh, Rust and Bone, they produced that. Oh, uh, graduation, Romania, uh, Romanian film. I really, really highly recommend that. That's excellent. Two Days, One Night is um, thankfully robbed of uh, some of the rawness of Rosetta by its plot and by the presence of Marion Cotillard, who's uh, good in it, but a bit too much of a movie star. And she cert- she was huge at the time it was coming out. She was uh, appearing regularly with Christopher in Christopher Nolan films. Uh, I don't find their films um, as inherently political as the likes of Ken Loach, uh, which is neither praise nor criticism. I mean, you know the way ev- there's always at least one socialist rant in a Ken sure. Loach film at, at some point, like literally re- referencing political theory. Uh, but these, the Dardenne films, the two I've seen anyway, are much more psychological. Big moments in both the films happen internally. And both made me cry at moments that aren't like left nor right, but really, really human. I think their ideas come from kind of the same place as uh, like say Kenneth Lonergan and that they're interested in sort of what is left of people when life really puts them in the grinder, you know, um, like, yeah, I think Kenneth Lonergan's a good comparison, actually, because that's kind of his specialty is just <laughs> just making them into Casey Affleck at the start of Manchester by the Sea mm-hmm. and seeing how they react like an emotional lab rat. The scene in Rosetta that I mentioned where she talks to herself is just beautiful and relatable and heartbreaking. It, it simmers her character down to its essence and makes you feel sort of one with it. Like it, it broke me completely because it's, you know, I don't know. Like that, that is a thing. Everybody's been desperate enough to kind of talk to themselves at some point. You know what I mean? And that, like, that basic thing that she's just saying, it's like, you have a job, you have a friend, you know what I mean? I think it's that, good. That's just, you know, yeah, positive self-talk. I think that's a good thing. Totally, yeah, yeah. I don't no, think that's not... desperate. I think that's probably her, like, at her peak, almost. Yeah, it is, but, it, like, yeah, no, 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 desperate would be the wrong word, I suppose. But, like, I suppose more what I would be keying in on is the fact that it's a highly, it's very relatable. That she's like that, that she's there going, you have a job, you have a friend, you know what I mean? The basic tenets, right. the human needs, you know? And then sure, the, the only th- difference is that the plot takes it to the place where she places her need of a job and status higher above her need to, you know, have relationships basically with people. And I suppose then there's also the aspect of like when she runs into her mother at the end, it's the ultimate, you know, wherever you go, there you are kind of moment. Eh, only if you live in a a Belgian trailer park. Yeah, I. But I mean, I don't, you know. I don't think it is. A, I don't think it's a case of that. I think if she got out of there, I think she would be okay. I think she can leave that behind. She could. Yeah, yeah. I. I. But the Darden brothers definitely aren't going to show us that part of the story. So I mean, are, is it just guilt that forces her to try to commit suicide? Then no, it's just a horrible time she's having. Like, he, I thought it was just the oh, guilt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand what related you're saying. to, I mean, I'm talking about her taking her, her yeah. friend Rike's job that when he comes up to her and orders like a waffle and a beer or whatever, she can barely look at him. And then I took that as her ultimate yeah, no, no, no. kind of having guilt over stabbing him in the back. No, she does because she's principled. But I think that I, I, I don't think she actually properly decides to kill herself. until She, she also to... almost lets him drown. Yes, but I don't think I don't think she actually fully decides to kill herself until she has to drag her mother back into the caravan. Mm, true. And she j- just calmly makes an egg and turns the gas. What a on. disgusting last meal! I know, right? Fucking hard-boiled egg. Ugh. You're not a hard-boiled egg fan. 
I would rather, if I had the choice between being gassed to death or eating a hard-boiled egg, that's that's down to a coin toss for me. I can't stand them. Fair enough. So you wouldn't engage in one of those Cool Hand Luke-style challenges with me? <laughs> I would have lost. Fair. Put me, put me in the jail permanently. Should we talk on plot for a little bit on this? What happens? Well, there's a young lady called Rosetta. She lives in a trailer park with her alcoholic mother who seems to be, uh, she likes to service a few gentlemen around. She's an alcohol whore. Is that, have you just coined that or is that, is that a real thing? Well, it's kind of it. Like, people will give her booze and she blows them. Well, including the guy who owns the trailer park, who looks a bit yeah. like Michael Redmond. <laughs> he he very much looks like, like Michael Redmond. Uh, what was he no, called? Fine, what, thanks. What was Father his name? Stone. Father Stone from Father Ted. Mm. Yeah, he looks a bit like him. But now... <laughs> if anyone's seen him uh, he's still doing stand-up I think he's a very good stand-up lives in uh, Scotland he lives in Glasgow yeah, Stuart Lee is a big fan of his I understand right. mm. uh, so yes yeah, so the mother is servicing gentlemen like Michael Redmond like Michael Redmond yeah like Belgian Michael Redmond and uh, yeah Rosetta the film starts with Rosetta getting laid off she's just been doing a trial period in some type a lot of, of chasing in this movie isn't there there's a, there's a lot of her spazzing out uh, yeah, yeah she, she which is fair. I mean, she's yeah. there's a, later on she like jumps at Rike when he's on his motorbike when he's like followed her or he's found out that she lives at a trailer park and she just fucking goes for him. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, like yeah. he pins it's her down sexual. on the ground. It is weirdly, yeah, like mm. he pins her down on the ground. You're like, how? Oh, what did this? Why? She she goes to I mean, but who? God knows how she was like what her life has been like so far. Fairly awful. Mm. How old is she? Seventeen. So, yeah, she's 17 in the film. So this, there's there's a whole thing um, which is, you know, where, where this film starts, which is related to the fact that Belgium had a law on its books that was about to be ratified. It was about to be passed into law. Oh, the Rosetta Law. Yeah, that was, and they, they, mm. that's what they finally named it, but only off of the back of the film being a success. Mm. But it was to limit... The number of hours worked, I think, for people under eighteen, and also like making sure that they had a fair, a fair, like a fair go at things. Because, like in this film, she gets basically she works her little trial period. They take advantage of her, and then they're like, "Get fucked. We'll get someone mm. else in." And she experiences a bit of that throughout. She gets she gets she has a, another job later that she loses because the the boss hires is is. Uh, his son, his idiot his son, son. To, take over, to take over from her. Which, again, she does not take too well. Fair it's enough. A recurring theme. Yeah, but it's like, you almost, you know, it, like, you, you do sort of feel for the waffle car owner in that, in that scenario. A li- a t- just a tiny bit, just because she's just spazzing so hard. <laughs> what else do we see of Rosetta? She, her mum repairs clothes, and Rosetta takes them and sells them to charity shops. Yeah, barters. Uh, she likes a waffle. As everyone in this movie likes waffles. A lot uh, it's, of waffles. It's, it's Belgium. What waffle city, yeah. What was your yeah. waffle intake like when you lived in Belgium? I'm not a big waffle guy, to be honest. Not a big guy for that type of carbohydrate, never have been. Uh, even pancakes and stuff like that. It's, if, to me, it feels like a, having a brick in your stomach. So they seem to do a lot of a waffle and a beer. Yeah, that's an odd combo to me. Yeah, that's so going down the schmuck and a pancake type. But that's the thing is like when I spent time in Belgium, I was only ever in um, the Flanders region, 
um, and they're down in the Ardennes, which is much more much poorer. As a, like there's there's far right, far right, certainly right uh, wing political movements in Belgium that would happily cut off Ardennes and let it be its own country because they say all their taxes pay for the social welfare down there oh, it's or up there, whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. But like the, the the thing is, is that the Flanders region of Belgium is so opulent. Like there's there's one street in Ghent that has three cathedrals on it. It's just like it's crazy how stacked and nice the cities are. Uh, Flanders famous for being very religious, as everyone knows. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Is that but, why they, they named the character? Yeah, that? exactly. That's just where Ned Flanders, he's actually Belgian. Yeah, I, but so this girl, she lives in Liège. It does make Liège look like an awful, awful place. It's really close to like the the, the German and uh, Dutch borders. Hmm. You okay. feel like, I don't know, it's 1999, but it feels like it, feels like it shouldn't be this bad. Which I guess we could, we, when we get to talking about the second film as well, I think there's things that are shown there where I'm like, Yeah, whatever. It was not that bad. It yeah, should yeah. not be that bad. Yeah, the, like it's interesting because the second film is based on a real happening, but it feels more fable-like. Yeah. So yeah, wh- wh- what happens to poor old Rosie then? So she uh, she she gets a, gets herself a waffle after getting fired, or no, after um, selling a bunch of clothes, and then she sees all the money in the waffle stand, and yeah. she's like, "I could do that." There's always money in the waffle stand. Exactly. <laughs> And uh, but there's no job for her there at the at the time, and your man, she, the, oh yeah, tracks she, Enrique, the guy who works in the waffle stand, tracks. Well, first her of all, she gets back home to her mother, and there's a man in there with a bottle of vodka, and she r- r- grabs the bottle of vodka, smashes it on a wall, and yells, "My mother is not a whore." If you want to, yeah. There's that other scene earlier where uh, her mom has some food, like some fish that she she yeah. seems to have got. Uh, from sexual favors, that yeah, yeah, gets yeah. thrown out as well. Rosette is like, fuck that. Yeah, exactly. Fires that um, fish out. She's also doing a lot of catching fish herself. Yes, yeah, she's got fish traps. She's got a little fish trap and a broken bottle that she goes to like a local, looks like a pond. I don't even know if it's a river. Yeah, then Riquette tracks her down and uh, says, you want to be mates or something like that? Well, he basically. tells her that there's a job going in yeah. one of the the waffle stand owner has like factory type things. He seems to like, he seems to make like, like flour or something like that. He's making all the, the, uh, like the waffle, I want to say dough. <laughs> or waffles made yeah, out yeah. of batter, batter. Batter, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. He's making all that waffle shit and then selling it off. But she what? takes that job because he's let someone else go and she's like a single mother or something and she's oh yeah yeah so, i mean yeah. it's just a constant stream of like people taking over for other people who are like in shit situations you see that's the thing is like these guys would be definitely regarded as uh, very much lefty filmmakers they are like you know it's always they're spoken of in the same uh, breath as ken loach frequently and you know their filmmaking styles are not dissimilar that like those little moments particularly near the start with the factory and then the you know her getting the job in front of the lady who's getting fired it's very uh, i wouldn't say it's like yeah i suppose it would be a critique of capitalism you could say but really i mean it's just zoomed into what's happening down at the bottom you know what i mean like just give, give you a good frank look of exactly what's happening down at the bottom but the thing is about and you and I look at that sort of job, I don't know, maybe down our noses, let's say, not quite, but, you know, for Rosetta, that's like a real chance at something. She just um, wants to work. Like, that's all mm. she wants to do throughout the film is just, like, have a regular life, just a working life, mm. do her nine to five, like, have a stable income, a place to live. And she can't yeah. do that. I mean, she's just not allowed to. So then when she 
I think she gets home and like once again, I think she catches the mother about to blow or after blowing Michael Redmond. And um, she says, all right, that's off to the uh, rehab with you. And it's just like the mother is some creature, isn't it? She's like dead in the eyes. Yeah, she's she's basically dead. Yeah. And they get into a big wrestling match and Rosetta ends up in that pond, in the pond. Slash whatever it is where she does her fishing and she loses her wellies and then she, she goes around uh, to Riquet's house yes Riquet uh does Riquet fancy her do you think yeah definitely um he's definitely trying to slide into the dms yeah, yeah the 1999 dm equivalent yeah but like i mean he's not doing too hot either to be fair but he has a scam going. He sells his own waffles at the stand, and Rosetta figures this out because he's got a waffle. Maker I wonder how at much home. that. How much does that net you? Making your own waffle batter at home and then selling your your own waffles. Probably a lot. I think he's doing all right. He offers to like cut her in as well. Yeah, she doesn't want none of that. No, she um, doesn't want that funny business. Exactly, but she she like that. Yeah, so he plays her his horrible drum music, and then they um have a weird weird forced dance. But ultimately, the whole experience is quite positive for uh, Rosetta, and she stays over at his house. That's where she talks to herself. She's like, "You have a normal life. You have a job. You have a friend." Next day, then loses the job to the a very well cast uh, fuck up of a son of the. Uh, he just he just he looks like me on a building site, age sixteen. Just I don't know what Impossible. I'm doing. He's like, I don't know how anything works. <laughs> and the father openly calls him a fuck up, and because he failed out of school, I do, I do think, I do, I, I do think um, the father isn't quite teaching his son a lesson by giving him a job so much as maybe you know, maybe he's not paying the son, maybe he's saving a little bit of money. Who knows? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Or it's like it's pressure that's been applied by the mother or something. Something like that. Yeah. The the waffle the guy doesn't seem like a bad guy. Um, no, he seems normal. Yeah, but anyway, Rosetta's life continuing falling apart. Basically, she ha- she hasn't seen the mother in like since the mother threw her in the pond. She loses the job. Very very upset. She rats out Riquette and says he's got this scam. And the boss fires Riquette and hands Rosetta the apron. And then it's just mental torture. She seems she goes through, she ha, like we see her one sequence where she's setting up the shop in the morning where she looks quite happy and also but she's th- like doing a good job selling mm. stuff. She just like and has like a, you know she's like yeah like they, have a people, nice day and all yeah, that. Yeah 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 she's like got like a nice mm. a pleasant manner pleasant sales uh, manner and but, but like basically Rick Rick like Ed- he's driving around on his little moped thing trying to psychologically (laughs) torture her yes it works because she's she's running around trying to evade him and then when eventually one time she gets back to the what's the name of the caravan park again grand canyon or something yeah exactly grand canyon and then she gets back there and finds her mother passed out and just has to drag her mother into the caravan she makes herself an egg and decides to uh, commit suicide by gas because it's and by that point me as an audience member i'm like yeah fair enough Fair, fair play yeah but she runs out of gas as you mentioned has, to, has go to go to Michael Redmond. Buy gas off of Michael Redmond and drag it back. And then Riquette shows up and with more psychological torture as though he's not already living in her head rent oh, free. What a dickhead. But he's, yeah, I mean, he's acting his way. He doesn't know that she's like mid suicide attempt. Yeah, yeah. But then he, he, uh, she falls down and he helps her up. And that last moment of the film where she looks at him is like, I suppose her guard is finally down in a, in a strange way. Yeah, how how do you read that? Are you reading that hopefully? Is that more hopeful ending? I mean, I, I, I take it that she's not going to kill herself. 
No, I don't think she will. Um, I but I I don't know is that necessarily hopeful, so to speak? Because she she's she's she quits the job as well before she commits. Oh, herself. that's right. Yeah, she says, but yeah. it calls up yeah, because she's a, she understands she understands the world of work. She calls up and says, "Hey, I'm not coming in." She doesn't do a no call, no show suicide. Uh, she calls yeah, up and, and says, it, "I'm sorry, I'm not coming in again. Goodbye." It's difficult to say. What what do you do? You think it's an optimistic ending? Y- yeah, I mean, considering what's come before, I think if she lets one person in. Especially if she can, like, she can, if he can forgive her, if if they even just Which have I'm a sure conversation. Yeah, I think he can. I think if they just have a conversation, it's all it requires is a conversation. She's so young, and she's mm. obviously had, like, a horrendous life so far to that point. Yeah, I would hope uh, her and Riquette start some nice platonic relationship and live together like brother and sister. That's what I hope. Well, who knows? Maybe so. I don't, th- I don't think Rosetta is going to be up for intimate uh, relationships anytime soon in her life. No, probably not after seeing what uh, happened to her mummy. I've only got one cast member to tell you about. Go for it. Emily Duquesne, who played Rosetta. Yeah, she's done a bit of work since, hasn't she? She, she got Best Actress at the Cannes Festival in 1999. She went on to, she appeared in uh, Christoph Gans's Brotherhood of the Wolf. Which I've never seen, but I've heard it. Me neither. I want to watch that too, yeah. Christoph Gans then went on to do Silent Hill with Roger Avery a few years later, but his career really slowed down. I really like that. uh, Not really like, but I like that uh, Silent Hill movie well enough. I think think it's all right. It's a decent uh, game adaptation. Emily Duquesne also appeared in season one of The Missing. The missing, the missing. Oh yeah, with um, Baptiste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and James one Nesbitt. of the. F- she's like a French police officer that helps. Ollie. James, that helps James Nesbitt. Yeah, Ollie, Ollie. Which is a solid. I mean, that's uh, season two is nowhere near as good. I don't think you've watched season two, but no, you told me it's no, not no, as, it's as, not good, as good. But season I, one is excellent. So I was fairly ho- like the ending of se- of season yeah, one of solid. the missing is is such a, a good gut punch. Yeah, kind yeah. of fits with uh, it fits with these films a little bit, or with yes. uh, Lilia Forever anyway. Yeah, Lily Affair Forever is a strange one. Have you got anything more to say about the lady who played yeah, Rosetta? No, just to say that Rosetta won the Palme d'Or in 1999. It beat out a bunch of films that we've talked about before. Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, Leos Carax's Paula X, and also The Straight Story. Wow, fair play, man. It also beat out Ratcatcher, although Ratcatcher wasn't nominated for Palme d'Or. Ratcatcher was nominated in the Uncertain Regard category, but still, oh, got, still got steamrolled. The jury at the Cannes Film Festival for the uh, Palme d'Or included uh, David Cronenberg, Holly Hunter, and Jeff Goldblum. And Rosetta was the last film that they watched, and they basically, as soon as it ended, all voted and uh, agreed that it was the best film that they'd seen. We're seeing this film, with, uh, which, which is shot on handheld cameras and has no music. The only music that we hear in the film is uh, Riquet's drumming and then his band. Yeah, which is <laughs> there's no way that's his band, is it? Could be. I don't know. It's just they they sound um... better than him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I meant. But that's it. That's all I have to say about this. There was a like you said, there was a time where I used to seek out films like this as well. Really depressing mm. stuff. I remember seeing Requiem for a Dream in the cinema when I was at university. And I came out of the cinema and I just went like, everything's different. Everything's different <laughs> now. I had a similar run-in with, uh, like, because I remember, I think I would have watched Requiem for a Dream for the first time with one of the first hangovers I remember having. <laughs> so, like, it's, I like, would have been 16 or 17. I just remember watching it. And at the time, I would have uh, smoked the odd bit of uh, Mary Jane Wanna. 
and uh, yeah, that, that it was just not the right movie for that day. I've, like I, I still, I don't think I could ever watch Requiem for a Dream again. You probably watch it every day. <laughs> I've seen it, uh, you know, five or six times, but not for a long, long time. I have no interest in watching it ever again. Yeah, no, me neither. I mean, <laughs> it's just one of those ones that has traumatized me. It's in the same sort of camp, but I rewatched the as something like The Sixth Sense, for which for some reason just scared the living shit out of me. And still, if I watch it, like I watched it last year, I still find it v- extremely scary. But um, yeah, the, no, the Requiem for a Dream for a completely different reason. Requiem is now in the box with Snowtown, as far as I'm concerned. No way, <laughs> never again. That's fair enough. So yeah, this film is uh, is one that I've seen quoted together with uh, the other film we watched, Lulia Forever, as being having some similarities, along with Robert Bresson's Mouchette. That's another one that I've seen thrown in frequently. Uh, is that an, uh, another bit pure misery guts? Is that the name teenage, of the genre? <laughs> te- young, t- teenage girl slash young woman has a bad time film. Oy. Um, so yeah, there seems to be... There's a lot of crossover there. I actually... I started looking at filmboards.com, which is the old IMDb film boards. Are you familiar with those? No. What are they? On the Internet Movie Database, they used to have um, they used to have film boards back in the day. They got, they got pulled like about six years, seven years ago, maybe six years ago. Or these like chat forums or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like unmoderated message boards. And so they were called probably, it was still about 2016 when the world went to hell. Mm. and everything was so mad that you couldn't have it anymore. But if you want to reinstall them into IMDb, you can go to filmboards.com, and they've archived all the old IMDb message boards, and there's like a browser extension that you can install, and you can basically put them back in. It, if you're watching some new film, you don't really, there's hardly anything there. But yeah. if you're watching something from 20 years ago or something from the 60s, there's a shit ton of messages, like of people. You know, it used to be a good thing where you could find. It was quite easy to find. I people think talking I do remember this. Film. This was basically the IMDb comment section. Well, yeah, it was like a message board. That's all it yeah. was. They, they they ended up getting rid of it just because it turned into like it, you know it was insane. It was just it yeah. was trolls all the way through. But so you can they've they've. There's this place where there's a, a site called filmboards.com that's basically resurrected them. And so you can go in and, and uh, yeah, I saw some... Just for reading purposes or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I saw some intre- reasonably interesting things about these two films. You Better if you, you know, if it's more of like a, like a like well-known classic, you can find some stuff. Because apart from that... Well, I like normally, trivia. Not trivia, just... Well, it can Readings. be trivia, but it's just... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, people having, you know, asking questions and talking about it. and Because apart from that, like, I have to go on Reddit. And, like, Reddit, you'll, you find a ton about new films. But... Uh, and if it's a very well-known film, you might find some, you know, conversation or people have something to say. But stuff that's kind of, you know not that well known you struggle to find anything for it mm. i i used to be a me- I, I was remembering this as well i used to be a member of uh roger avery's message board wow like, more than 20 years ago i remember asking him a question about like some soundtrack thing in one of his films because that was you know back in the day before shazam or anything like that i was like what's this mm. piece of music Roger Avery, I listen to uh, occasionally. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something. Some people might 
think outrageous, but go and listen to their podcast. I sometimes listen to him and Quentin Tarantino's podcast, the Video Archives podcast. Ours is better. I'm going to say it. It is. <laughs> just, sorry. I mean, you're you're really good at making movies, guys. One of you in particular. They make a fun double act. I'll say that because so I was listening to um, their breakdown of uh, Straw Dogs recently. I listened uh, to the first ten minutes of that, and I had to turn it off. I couldn't listen to the full thing either. Why was it because Quentin Tarantino keeps getting uncomfortable? I don't know. As it's... in saying uncomfortable things, not being uncomfortable himself. Maybe there's that also that and I'm like I don't want to hear from Roger Avery's daughter. I'm sure she's lovely, but I just uh, <laughs> have no interest in what she has to say. I don't know. Just I think Quentin <laughs> I think Quentin Tarantino should not comment on certain things. To be honest, and that's coming from me, like for real, his his interpretation of um, Straw Dogs, in particular the rape scene, is far too <laughs> sympathetic with the rapists. It's just uh, it just boggles the mind. Like I don't think I don't think Sam Peckinpah would agree with Quentin Tarantino's interpretation of it. He's sure he would, but I don't think he would. It all like if you ever heard that clip of him on Howard Stern talking about. Um, the girl who got raped by Roman Polanski. No, that's on, I, that's I can imagine pretty uncomfortable. Is, like... is that's pretty uncomfortable as well. But uh, whatever, we're better. <laughs> Fucking video archive losers watching VHSs. Um, anyway, we have completely spiraled here no, away. No, that's but fine because we're we're, we're just actually, prepping ourselves yeah. to get into Lucas we're right on the since Lily forever. Yeah, be, because okay, so the the odd thing. But when you line these films up beside the uh, beside one another, is that of course? Uh, well, not of course. But maybe people don't know. So Rosetta is fictional. I presume the Dardenne brothers do their own type of research and stuff for that. But uh, Lilia Forever is based on a true story. But I'd love to hear. How do you say this girl's name? Dangueli Rasaletti. Yeah, uh, that's how I would say her name. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's a true story that runs pretty much like. We don't need to go into the film, the true story, too much because the film pretty much represents mm. it um, as much as people know about what went on. The odd thing is, is that Rosetta f feels more real. This feels almost more sort of like a, a go ask Alice type of thing. So, but it's it's a true story. It, like I said, the levity is present in this once again to drive home the 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 horror of the end of it for people who I genuinely. I think this is quite an important film. I think more people should see this. I liked it. It's a lot more of a traditional film in the sense that it's got a score, a soundtrack. Yeah. It's very Eastern European. It's got like a logical plot, like logical plot points, three act structure type thing. I liked it. And to stress again, I do think it's like, I would genuinely think this is quite important to see because the thing is, the way the plot works out you, and the fact that this is true, this really did happen. It's just there is like there's real, real evil in the world is uh, the way I like I, I was watching this. I'm about to get some seriously potent here. I was watching this. I couldn't stop thinking about um, my daughter. And it's just there just go and the, the pimp character and in particular. OK, no, I'll, I'll leave my interpretation till we get ar ar around to it. Um, so this is the second film by this director I've seen. The other one I saw is way happier. Um, it's a great film as well, though. Um, Lucas Moodyson is the, the director's name. He's very left wing, very feminist, also very Catholic, you know, if you can square those circles. Um, his other film about a, a teenage girl punk rock band called We Are The Best. I don't know. Did you see that? No, I remember the only the other one that I 
had always planned to watch was this one from the 90s called Fucking Amal. I've never, not even heard of that. What's that about? Two teenage lesbians, I think, and their sort of blossoming relationship. Because there was a time in the night, like the 90s and then early 2000s, Lucas Moodyson, I remember, he was like a name that was around, like he was going to be the next big thing. Mm. And this film did quite well critically, and then he just sort of, he's still been making things, but he's never to the same heights. Like he hasn't had any big successes. He had that other English language film, uh, that or rather he had an English language film, I think it's called Mammoth. Yeah, he had a film called Mammoth, all right. But I can't see this fucking Amal film on his film. It has a different name. Uh, that's the original title. It's called something else in English, but it's from like 98. Oh, yeah, Show, Show Me Love. It's Show Me Love English. is the English Jesus title. It's called, fucking, uh, it's called fucking Amal. How are you not going to... Yeah. You're not going to use that title. Fair. We Are the Best is excellent. I really highly recommend that to anybody listening. But yeah, he has a, he's, he, his most recent contribution was a TV show called Gosta, which I actually have heard of. And apparently it's quite good. But um, anyway, uh, I think this film is quite well-directed, very powerful, and I think he did a great job with it. It opens up with just blasting Rammstein music. And you can clearly say, okay, this is stylistically, this is a world away from the Dardanes already. But the long and short of it, there was a very famous case in um, Sweden of a young lady called Dangule Razalite who um, committed suicide by jumping off a bridge. She had been trafficked into the country and uh, used as a a prostitute and escaped captivity, was in a scene, in a scene, run of incidents that is not included in the film was then subsequently raped by a group of uh, Swedish men and then yeah. killed herself who she asked even worse went, than went, the film which is mad well, yeah yeah who she went to for help and uh, yeah and then she jumped off a bridge and she died of her injuries and the incident like people tracked down where she was from and um, yeah there's been multiple documentaries about uh, this story it's, it, it weighed quite heavily on uh, Swedish consciousness as I'm sure you can imagine I mean it, like there's I remember there was a, a story in Ireland from uh, years ago where um, there was uh, basically a, a, a bunch of like a bunch of Chinese families were found in like an attic of a of a Chinese restaurant, I think, um, farming marijuana. And basically, this these triad gangs had um, their families hostaged back home. And I, the reason I'm bringing this up is just it, I'm talking about underbelly. This is the sort of area that uh, David Lynch was dancing with in the likes of Blue Velvet. But I, I mean, it's real. Like it's there. Yeah, I There's, saw it in uh, Lethal Weapon Four. It, there you go in Lethal Weapon Four. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's the same plot. They fuck you at the drive-through. They do. Oh no, that's three. They fuck you with the mobile phones. Is that that's, what? Is that for? Is that his ranting yeah, yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I couldn't remember that. Anyway, yeah. Back to uh, Lilia Forever. There is n- there is really not much to say about any of the cast here. Uh, this film was the biggest thing in their there career. There is. Uh, there's. There's no way. There's one important thing to say about the cast. Oh, Oksana Akin Akinshina, who played Lilia. Yeah. So she appeared in the Born Suprem the Born Supremacy opposite Matt Damon. She plays the daughter of a guy that he killed. But then, more importantly, she went on to appear in the films Eight First Dates, Eight New Dates, and Eight Best Dates. What are these films? They're very, very well-known films because she starred opposite her on-screen husband in those films was played by none other than Vladimir Zelensky. What? Oh, you've blown this thing wide open. Yeah. So she has worked with old Zelensky. Wow, and but she I actually... wonder what she's like though, because she's from Saint Petersburg, and she seems quite Russian. 
<laughs> so I wonder where she stands on things right now. I mean, who knows? There's a whole intellectual class out in Russia that, by all accounts, would, you know, spit on Putin's grave, but uh, whatever. Anyway, okay. So, yeah, Rammstein music. We see her on the edge of a bridge, flashback to a year ago in the most miserable place on Earth. Now, I think you're right. I don't think it could have possibly been that bad in 1999. Especially since this was all filmed in uh, just outside Tallinn, Estonia. Like, it doesn't... It's filmed on, like, a former uh, Soviet submarine base. And that's why all of those houses had fallen into like a terrible state of disrepair. Yeah, that makes and, sense. Uh, apparently, I, I don't, I don't think anyone lives there. Yeah, that makes sense too, because like, so it doesn't look like anybody yeah. lives there. And yeah, yeah. Ta- Tallinn looks not bad. It looks Tallinn's like a, a very nice city. Have you ever yeah, been to Tallinn? No, no, it looks like a nice place. But this is this the town is called Pal- Paldiski, and it's like I don't know. It looks like it's about twenty miles outside of uh, outside the city. So. They just chose like a really rough, horrible-looking, rundown former Soviet place. Mm. But yeah, I've I saw comments. This is going back to that film board I was talking about. I I read a lot of comments from people from Eastern Europe and from former Soviet states who said like in two thousand and two, nothing was like this. It was nowhere near this bad. They said maybe early nineties, maybe during yeah. Soviet times. Maybe. I mean, he's clearly going for something, but he's landing on Adam Curtis type territory. Like it, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's it's a little too bleak. Uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, it, the the sequence of events is incredibly bleak. So yeah, her mother, first of all, she's very happy. She's going to America. She's a bit of a, a obnoxious sort of a teenager. She like giving the finger to people, and you know, but she's like, I'm going to America, woohoo, you know. But then it turns out she's in fact not going to America. Her mother is going to America with her boyfriend Ivan, the uh, most Russian-looking man in the world. Yeah. And uh, they bugger off to America and leave her in the charge of her aunt. Her aunt can't afford the apartment she's already in, so she moves her into a shithole. Just an awful, a awful shithole. Some old man has just died, and there's like the stains of his dead body on the mattress. Yeah, so Lilia does her best to make her seem, uh, if make herself feel at home. She makes friends with a young boy, um, Volodya. Volodya. Uh, Volodya, uh, which like according like that's like a, a Russian language nickname structure. The like it's like putting Y at the end of a name. In so what they they do, you learn this from reading Dostoevsky, by the way. What they do is they combine elements of your first and second name and put Ya after it. So Volodya. Oh, yeah? yeah, yeah, exactly. So you'd be Araya. I'll take it. Araya, I'd be uh, Detroya. Oh, I like that. I should go by my my Russian name. Anyway, Detroya. So, uh, Volodya. It sounds like you can't say destroyer and you're like, Detroyer. <laughs> I'm a Detroyer. Fucking, uh, she makes friends with this young boy who's just, again, the world's just, sweetest boy. Yeah, what but he's a, what a gr- lovely gr- young boy. Just sn- hoofing glue and trying to take the old man's prescription drugs. They have uh, boys over to the flat and play horrible. Uh, techno music from that part of the world, etc., etc., etc. That's how um, you know it's made by a Swede. Yes, indeed. There's so much bad techno going on. And then she she doesn't have any money. Nobody, the mother's not sending money. As a matter of fact, halfway through the movie, she she gets called into the social welfare and gets a notification that the mother has officially disowned her and waived her uh, parental rights uh, with a note saying, Lilia was always an unwanted child. Uh, it's pretty horrific. So then she's just there. She's got no electricity, no light. Her friend, well, friend, um, gets into prostitution and she goes and has sex with a man in exchange for cash. Lily is resistant to the idea. But uh, then 
her friend shows up at her door with her father in tow going, you take this money, I don't want it. So she's basically said that Lily is, as a matter of fact, the prostitute. Everybody in the town and the school sort of believes that they're slagging her off for being a prostitute. So now her only friend left is Volodya, and she kind of goes, well, fuck it, I might as well just be a prostitute. So she goes and has sex with a man in exchange for cash. Uh, she does it once, gets money, buys a bunch of uh, food and cigarettes and shares it with Volodya. And then she, then basically the boys who she had formerly known come around to her flat and rape her. So, yeah, and uh, again, Volodya being a very sweet boy, collects her clothes and brings them back up to her. She goes to be a prostitute again. Clearly something goes wrong in this encounter, but a very good-looking young man who we can immediately see as a, a total snake called Sergi picks her up, takes her home, acts the gentleman. He was also in the bar, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked like clear, Clearly this is his job. I don't think she noticed, right? She doesn't recognize that he was in the bar, does she? She I don't looks know. at him, but when she's walking down the street and he picks her up in his car, I don't think that she puts it together that he was... Because if, if she knew that he was in the bar, surely that would... Put off alarm bells. But even, 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 uh, even her little friend <laughs> figures out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, so he's clearly a snake. He says, we'll go off to Sweden. Um, I'll get you a job and a flat and etc. Uh, and, and the job is picking uh, vegetables. And yeah, and that's winter. how Velodja figures out that because he's like you don't pick vegetables in winter very well reasoned Velodja fair play so she arrives there and she's picked up by the airport by a man who confiscates her passport and locks her in an apartment and as I've said there's levity in the film so far it's particularly in the relationship with um, Velodja and her interactions with the local cashier in the shop Um, and like you know I mean there's a little bit of funny stuff going on there then she gets there and like I said when you have levity in your movie it lends it humanity the characters become real and then all of a sudden no matter what her life was before she's just trapped in this montage of peep show sex scenes with horrible grotty looking men I mean they're horrible by the nature of just the surroundings and how dead she seems with no matter what she's engaging and then this is the part where I feel like just the just the evil of a project like this just comes into scope because it's like as she starts to so she basically starts to run low on her humanity she like looks like shit and she starts cutting off her hair and the thing is it's then that I dawned, it dawned on me, even with the, 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 uh, the woman who this story is based on, and they said Dangola Rasalaita, they never caught the person who was pimping her, who was trafficking her. So I'd imagine when he saw that she had committed suicide on the news, he probably, his mind went into sort of business mode, and that's probably an occupational hazard for people like that, is you basically use up all the humanity of a person and then eventually they probably they're going to kill themselves or they're not going to be worth taking care of anymore and you discard them and it's just incredibly I assume that's what happened here when Lilia moved into the flat that they put her in there's just all sort of empty food around and mm. bits and pieces i just assumed that yeah that was whoever was there last like the previous girl who probably yeah it's dead mm. You'd have to imagine. I actually find that the saddest part of the film is when Lilia moves into that flat in Sweden and cleans and she, it up cleans it up and then starts taking out all her little knickknacks and like yeah. decorating the house like and takes out her, her like kind of Jesus uh, mm. thing to put on the wall. I just, 
there's something so sad about that, about seeing like someone trying to make a home in like the worst of situations. So almost immediately after she leaves wherever she's from, Volodya kills himself. And then she begins to have uh, visions of him as, a, as an angel. And he eventually guides her to escape, which she does. I think it was a good move on behalf of uh, Lucas Moodyson to not include the further rape scene that happened to uh, Dangula uh, Rasalite. Yeah, that would have been too that. much. That would have been too much, um, but I think it's important people should kind of know. I'm, I presume people do know in all the documentaries they made about this story. Like, and yeah, so then when she escapes that time, she's just running around. She's afraid of the police because she doesn't have her passport. She's, she's also been threatened that, like, uh, in Sweden, the guy mm. who's looking after her, Vitek, will kill her if she gets sent back to whichever former Soviet country it mm. is. There'll be someone waiting at the airport there to kill her. She hasn't got any family, but she has been like basically threatened with death. Yeah, so she just finds herself a bridge and jumps off it. And the la- at the end of the film is uh, her and Volodya playing basketball on a roof as as angels. I had told you I'd I'd recently uh, watched to the end of um, David Simon's show The Deuce. Uh, this share like the this the theme of this film is a big theme throughout three series of that which culminates in um, the death of somebody in this show. I won't spoil it for anybody, uh, but it's, it's a very, very powerful moment. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a death by suicide as well, and you're not going to figure out who it is because there's a lot of episodes to do, and you'll forget I said this by the time I said But, I mean, it's a similar kind of notion, just of somebody just being completely used up, nowhere to go, what's the point, boom. But the presence of evil in Lilia Forever is just so evocative. It's crazy. Great performance by uh, Akasana Akashina. Akashina. Yeah. And um, Artem Well directed. Uh, nice soundtrack choices. As I said, have you, have you ever heard of the book Go Ask Alice? No. It's like a 60s fake drug fable that they tried to pretend was a teenage girl's diary. It's quite, it's, it's fable-ish compared to Rosetta. Rosetta does feel realer, actually. But um, yeah, this is, this is really tough stuff. But I do genuinely think this is a very important movie. I think people should see it. Have you ever seen Maria Full of Grace? No. This would be a similar film. It's about uh, girls who agree to swallow pellets of cocaine and make the okay. journey to the United States. And they... Or there's another one, I think it's called uh, The Golden Cage, people trying to cross the border into America from Guatemala. And like the, you know, the, both filmmakers made the choices to like follow real routes and go by the methodology of exactly how stories like that work. And they're quite educational and very moving for that. And Lilia Forever definitely belongs in that camp, I would say. Solid. Oof. I wish I'd put up a Pixar film for a toss this week, but I'm afraid I watched some of them already in reaction to both of this week's films. Uh, okay, what are you bringing to the, uh, to the table this week? Well, this, I think, was probably in relation to when we talked about Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. I thought I should catch up on some Jim Jarmusch. And uh, the film that stood out to me was 1995's Dead Man with old Johnny Deep. Mm. Weirdo Western. Mm, in black and white. Yeah, very pro-vaccination soundtrack there. Oh, really? Why was that? Neil Young. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I've actually never seen Dead Man. I'd be very happy to watch it. What I'm putting up for the toss is um, the first part, and apparently one of the greatest road movies ever, the first part in Vim Vendors' road movie trilogy, Alice in the Cities, 1974. Black and white. Yeah, let's keep it black and white. Indeed. All right, so you got the choice of... A five or a church? 
I'm going to go five. Nice. I fucked it. <laughs> yeah, so I heard. It's a church. Woo. All right. You want to you hear what you, yeah. you could have won? I'm almost glad that you didn't win now because while I w wanted to watch Dead Man, I didn't want to watch the film I felt would have been the natural companion piece for it. Uh, so Alejandro Hodorowsky's trippy uh, debut film, also a weirdo western, El Topo. El Topo, yeah. All right. What are we watching with Alice in the Cities? Well, it's when uh, Vim Vendors, I know I... I know I probably had a responsibility to choose Paris, Texas, but I did not. Good on you. I've seen that a lot. And good. So I instead... Well, here, here's a question for you. You know me. You here, what? What is a film series that I like? What's a character that I like? There was a series of novels, five novels. Hmm. And uh, one, of the, one of the adaptations of one of the novels directed by Vin Vendors. I couldn't, I, I can't yeah, tell off the it, top it's of my a, head. It's a series of, I've already, I mentioned uh, one of the adaptations very recently, which uh, starred Alain Delon. Oh, right. Is this the uh, the Ripley novels? It is, yeah. Bim Vendors directed a, a Ripley Vendors movie. Bim Vendors directed The American Friend, starring Dennis Hopper as Tom Ripley. Oh, wow. Uh, an adaptation of Ripley's Game. Ripley's Game was then later made in, into a film starring Called John Ripley's Malkovich. Game. Yeah, yeah with John Malkovich and uh, Dougray Scott. So anyway, the, the original adaptation of this is with Dennis Hopper and Bruno Ganz from 1977. Bruno Ganz, Adolf Hitler. Yeah, Bruno Ganz is Jonathan Zimmerman. Oh, wow, cool. All right, I'm looking forward to that. You're yeah, actually, I, I've, I've, been, I've been meaning to watch this forever because I'm trying to catch up on, on all my Ripley's. I want to watch all the Ripley's. And you're, like, you're a fan of these books as well, are you? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've read a couple of them. Okay, yeah, no, um... I'm kind of I, I'm getting quite into uh, serialized novels. I, I'm thinking about starting the Patrick O'Brien books as well. Just uh, I mean, cause, yeah, I don't know. I'm enjoying it because even though they're not serialized novels, as I've been working my way through uh, Robert Harris's books, they all feel like they're one in this. They, right. they all feel like they're part of a series. So I wanna I'm looking out for stuff like that. But you would recommend the Patricia Highsmith books, would you? Yeah, at least the Ripley ones. What else? She's she's famous for. Um... Uh, Strangers on a Train. That's the other big one that she wrote. And she also seems the, like the a, Price of Salt. Yeah, she's yeah. She seemed like a a really sort of hard nosed lady. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, she took like, no shit. <laughs> she, yeah, yeah, she, she was famous for that. hardcore. Yeah, but um, yeah, she, yeah, I like I like her writing. Sweet. Um, I won't be able to read uh, one of those in time. But well, maybe I'm a fast reader. Try. I might, maybe I'll read Ripley's Game. I could give that a, tr a shot. I don't know. Actually, I'm super busy. <laughs> it seems unrealistic. Anyway, but with that, that's neither here nor there because that's not for an, another two weeks. Oh, we'll that's true. About no, that. I do have time. Yeah, I do have time to, to do that. So, and for next week, we're watching... So I guess so we, next, so next yeah. time, I guess we're going to be talking about either woman talking or woman shopping uh, or... <laughs> or the whale. Uh, the whale. Or the whale talking. Yeah. One of those. One of those things. One of those old things. And yeah, and maybe we'll get around eventually. We did, uh, we have one request for Dances with Wolves. Which, yeah, which I would we'll get around I, to eventually. I'll address. I'll address that now. That's. A, I've been wanting to watch that for years. So that is uh, official. That's going to be a toss pick of mine in the very near future. I think. Okay, cool. I can't toss pick that because I've seen it. Yeah, them's the rules, buddy. I like it. It's a good film. Alright, cool. Um, so anyway, I guess that's it from us this week. I thought I'd be seeing you next week for some reason, but I guess not. Montenegro still no, uh, still yeah, has I've you. Another, I've got another month. Uh, talk to you very soon, buddy. I love you. Love and you I love too. you, the audience. Bye. Love you, bye.